Our Bible reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning to read at verse 18, and that can be found in the Church Bibles on page 965. Page 965. The birth of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. A first-year college student hadn't been in touch with his parents all term. He hadn't phoned or even texted. But in the last week of the Christmas term, he emailed them. Dear Mum and Dad, I'm sorry I haven't been in touch, but it's been a difficult term, and I didn't want to trouble you. In the first week of term, there was a fire in my hall of residence, and all my possessions were destroyed. I only saved my life by jumping out of the window, and in so doing, broke my leg. I spent a month in hospital. But every cloud has a silver lining. In hospital, I met this gorgeous girl, and to cut a long story short, we got married last Saturday. I'm sure we shall be very happy once she has been discharged from her rehab. And I'll bring her to see you with her children as soon as her parole expires and her probation officer allows her to travel. Love, Peter. P.S. None of the above is true, but I failed my first exams and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. <laughs> What's the true perspective of Christmas? Now, this is a true story. On December the 17th, 1903, at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, two brothers wheeled out the machine that they just invented. It was fitted for the first time with an engine. 
uh, because no car manufacturer could build an engine light enough or powerful enough, they had designed their own. They had a vision of hope, of powered flight. And Orville Wright piloted the first manned-powered aircraft. In 12 seconds, he covered 120 feet above the ground. Now, that's less than the wingspan of a 747. But nevertheless, Oliver and Wilbur had changed the course of human history. Before the historic flight, they had notified several newspapers. But only one, the local rag, even bothered to cover it. After the flight, they were so excited at their achievement that they telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to her local newspaper and showed the editor the message. He glanced at it and said, That's nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He had totally missed the true perspective. For the first time in history, man had flown. The world would be utterly different from now on. Uh, The moral of this story is that if anything were to happen of earth-shattering significance, changing the history of the world, it probably wouldn't be in the news. And that was the case of the first Christmas that the Wright brothers, 2,000 years later, were hurrying home to celebrate. Now, actually, Christmas is more significant than the first powered flight, if the claim is true. Man reaching up to the sky is one thing. God reaching down to earth is something else. So what's the true perspective of Christmas? What vision of hope does it hold? At first, it looks so ordinary. The illegitimate baby of an unknown peasant woman, a refugee, unmarried mother, born in destitution in a stable, perhaps a cave, in a thoroughly nondescript village in an unspectacular part of the world at a remote corner of history. Not much of a vision of hope. Not a very grand start for the person who would not merely change, but divide history into two. Every date up to that point is labeled B.C., before Christ. Every date after A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Today, tomorrow, 2.3 billion people, that's 2,300 million people will worship him. Those who follow the refugee child now call themselves Christians after him. And far from this movement dying out, do you know there are more Christian believers alive today than have lived in the whole previous 2,000-year history of the Christian church put together? How do you get that in perspective? Well, Matthew's crisp answer in the Christmas reading we've just heard is in the words of a heavenly messenger. He says, it's a divinely unique conception from the Holy Spirit. 
It's a divinely unique calling to save people from divine judgment of their sins. And it's a divinely unique character, God with us. Now, many say, that's unbelievable. Things like that don't ordinarily happen. Therefore, it cannot be true. Unless, of course, you take the opposite perspective, that if it were true, the circumstances would necessarily be out of the ordinary. So which is the true perspective? Others might say, if God has been among us for 2,000 years, why isn't the world a more peaceful place? There's still war and enmity, in particular in the part of the world where he was born. But I want to ask you this question. Who else in history, whose influence thousands of years after his death, has been able to stop the largest armies that ever faced each other, albeit temporarily, to call a truce, shake hands, and exchange gifts in the no-man's land between them? Whoever did that, consider this. A peasant carpenter for 30 years in an obscure village. Then an itinerant preacher for three. He never went to college. He never wrote a book. He never held public office. He never had a family or owned a home. He never put foot in a big city, nor traveled more than 200 miles from his birthplace. He did none of the things we associate with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. And yet, great throngs followed him. While he was still young, the tide of opinion turned against him. His followers ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through a mock trial. He was sentenced to death on a cross between two criminals. And as he died, his executioners gambled for his coat, the only piece of property he had on earth. His body was laid in a borrowed grave. And now, 20 centuries later, he is the central figure of human history, which is dated from his birth. Billions set aside a day every week in remembrance of him. Our two most important holidays celebrate his birth, and if it is to be believed, his resurrection. He has furnished the theme of more songs, books, poems, and paintings than any other person or event in world history. Thousands of colleges, hospitals, orphanages, institutions have been founded in honor of this one man. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned have not changed the course of history as much as this one solitary life. And consider this. The name of Christ has been virtually unique and unparalleled in history as the one who claimed in himself to be the sum and substance of the meaning of the universe. Not just in what he said or in what he did or taught, but in himself. So that if you remove Christ from the Gospels, there is no Gospel message left. 
He is the central feature of his own message. Listen to a theologian, James Stewart. He was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men. Yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that the children loved to play with him and the little ones nestled in his arms. His presence had the innocent gaiety of a village wedding and was like the presence of sunshine. No one was half as kind and compassionate to sinners. Yet no one spoke such hot, scorching words against sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His whole life was love. Yet on one occasion it demanded of the Pharisees how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions. Yet for sheer stark realism, he has all our self-styled realists soundly beaten. He was the servant of all, washing the disciples' feet. Yet masterfully, he strode into the temple, and the money changers and hucksters fell over one another in their mad rush to get away from the fires they saw blazing in his eyes. He saved others, and yet at the last himself he did not save There is nothing in history like the union of contrasts that confronts us in the gospel. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of divine personality. Listen to a secular historian, W. Leckie, in his book, History of European Morals, from Augustus to Charlemagne. He wrote this, The character of Jesus has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, but the strongest incentive in its practice, and has exerted so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the dispositions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. Listen to F.F. Bruce, the New Testament theologian, in response to that. That, he says, is a a non-Christian, or at least not a distinctively Christian judgment, of one sense in which Jesus is not only a historical figure, but also our eternal contemporary. His influence lives on. When he departed the earth, there were only about 120 people professing allegiance to him. In Palestine, that boasted 4 million at that time. They were outnumbered 30,000 to 1. What was the uniqueness of that person and his message? Does it mean that there is nothing in Christ or his message that you will not find in some fragmentary form elsewhere? No. But it does mean... That in him, there is such a consummate expression of God. And in his message, there is the totality of the expression of what we need for life. That anything that contradicts him becomes untrue by definition of the fact that he claimed to 
be the truth. So that either he is false or that which contradicts him is false. There may be hints of truth or ideas that you'll find in other systems, but the consummate expression in Christ is so geared towards truthfulness in an absolute sense that anything that contradicts it automatically becomes false. He is the eternal figure throughout history. He fuses every moment of history with meaning. If he is the eternal God with us, as Matthew says, and is always ever present as our eternal contemporary, then the fact is he fuses all time with significance. Let me illustrate this. When you talk to an existentialist, the existentialist talks in the now, living with a passion for now. Give it all the passion you've got and do it now. Find its significance, its meaning, in the experience of the instant. Nike is the dumbed-down expression for the masses of the existentialist philosophy that has now permeated our society. Just do it. A young woman on her mobile on the train from Waterloo to Clapham Junction just before Christmas. Are you getting drunk tonight? How drunk? The most desperate aspect of that conversation with her obviously female friend was there was no smile on her face as she asked her pathetic question, consulting about their planned degree of mutual oblivion. How can it be wrong when it feels so comforting? The existentialist lives for the now, and what havoc that philosophy has caused. Sartre's led directly to the Ankalia movement in Cambodia and resulted in the slaughter of millions in the killing fields, just as Nietzsche's worldview gave Hitler the liberty to kill millions. The existentialist lives for the now. The traditionalist looks to the past. In Fiddler on the Roof, Tavir gives his monologue talking about how they moved from village to village, persecuted, tormented. He says, somehow we keep going. Somehow we keep going. And you ask me how, I'll tell you. Tradition, tradition, tradition. And if we did not have our traditions, our existence would be as tenuous as a fiddler on the roof. Yes, the Hebrew looks to the past. The existentialist looks to the moment the utopianist looks to the future. Seventy years of living a lie in Russia. After 26 million people have been obliterated in the name of Marxist utopianism. The attempt to set up heaven on earth, one of the most bloody experiments in history. A utopian, classless society in the future that was to come. First the atheism of Stalin in Russia and then of Mao Zedong in China. 
So the existentialist looks to the present, the traditionalist to the past, the utopianist to the future, and then you look at Jesus with his band of a few disciples at a table like this. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And the New Testament says, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that is now, you proclaim the Lord's death that is in the past until he comes in the future. In one sentence, in one act, he fuses every moment of history pregnant with the meaning that he gives it. He transcends the temporiness of past, present, and future, and he gives it all meaning. He's the eternal God of history. God with us. And that is the vision of Christ that alone gives us hope. So on this Christmas Eve, shall we stand? And Lord Jesus, we thank you on this night when of all extraordinary things, as we usher in the celebration of your birth, we also celebrate your death. Because you were born to die, to die for us. And we thank you for the symbols that you gave us of your body broken for us in this bread and of your blood shed for us in this cup. And as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, may we feed on you the living Christ today for your glory's sake. Amen. And let's sing a carol before we come forward and receive together. Yeah.